This afternoon I preach to you the Bible teaches about the benefits of Christ's resurrection as we also that's summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 17 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you'd like to read along with that reading in Lord's Day 17, it's on page 531 in the Book of Praise. Here the church confesses, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you read the Bible, read the Gospels, you can find many descriptions of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can piece it together, you can find all the different facts of that special day. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, some women came to the tomb where Jesus had been laid. And they found that the stone that had been rolled in front of the, the opening had been rolled away. But when they went in, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. They had expected to put some spices on the dead body of their Lord. But instead, the women were, were frightened, terrified, by two men who stood by them in dazzling apparel. And then with their faces bowed to the ground, so right there in their tomb with their faces on the ground, they heard angels saying to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. As we saw displayed on the wall as we walked in, that's Luke 24, verses 5, 6a. Well, these women were the first witnesses to the fact of the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And together with many other witnesses who were added on that the Gospels tell us about, they confirm the declaration of the truth that we confess in the Apostles' Creed. that on the third day, Jesus arose from the dead. In the months and the years after the fact of the resurrection, uh, that fact became the starting point of all preaching, all the preaching of the apostles, every, all the instruction that they give. And then God used them to further explain to us what that resurrection means for the church. In the same way, since we as Christians are already defined by our belief in the fact of the resurrection, our confession in Lord's Day 17 is able to focus on the wonderful benefits of Christ's resurrection for the church. There's no argument to try show the proof of the resurrection. We already accept that. The question is, what are the, what are the benefits? As we teach our children 
as we share our faith with non-Christian neighbors and friends, we don't just let them know that Christ has risen from the dead, but we also proclaim why this is a good thing for everyone who believes in him. This afternoon I preach to you this gospel under the theme, Christ shares the benefits of his resurrection with all who believe in him. And we'll see three major benefits that we confess. We have peace with God. Second, we have new life. And third, we have a glorious resurrection. Peace with God. Peace with our maker. That means that there are no outstanding debts. That we are walking in love toward God, showing love toward our neighbor according to the law. And since every sin that we commit in our lives increases our debt and our sinful nature, we know it makes it difficult to, to show that true love with a sincerity and, and a truth. We regularly confess to God that our, on our own strength we are perpetual debtors. We can't get closer to him by the things that we do in our lives. And there is no peace with God while debts remain outstanding. The gospel message that we believe as we see our own sinfulness is that when Christ came and satisfied God's justice by paying for our sins and obeying the law for us and in our place, he restored peace to us when he overcame death. And since we are tied to Christ by our faith in him, what happens to Christ happens to us. So we look at his resurrection with great joy, with great interest. And when we confess that Christ overcame death, we are showing that we believe that there was a struggle we sang it in hymn 30, life and death contended. God had said that the wages of sin are death, that the soul that sins should die for their own sin, that if you sin against one commandment, you sin against them all. No one could escape this punishment of death if he or she was not perfect or if they did not have a perfect substitute to take their place. Well, there was no substitute for Jesus Christ. He was the one who came to take our place. He needed to be perfect. And if Jesus had not been perfectly innocent, or if his payment for others had been incomplete, he would have had to pay for that sin with his own eternal death. He would have had to have been consumed in the fire of God's judgment for his own sin. There would have been no resurrection if one sin remained in Jesus Christ. We would have a dead Lord. So when we see the gospel that he rose from the dead, that rising from the dead declares to us that he was innocent.
and perfectly righteous. It's, it's proof to us that he paid for our sins and he made it possible for others to share in his victory. God imputes Christ Jesus' payment to our account. He will treat us as if we have paid for our sins, as if we live a righteous life. When Christ paid for us, when he, when he was judged as innocent for us, and he makes us share, it's like somebody who has a ticket, a ticket to, to get somewhere. What he pays for the ticket, and he gives that ticket to you. And you can take that ticket and you're treated like a ticket payer. Somebody who's, who has an entrance fee paid for, has proof of it in the ticket, and is able to enter into an event. But Jesus Christ is the one who, who came, who gave you that access to the throne of God by paying for it for you. As you see that God accepted all those who claim to be, who are in Christ, you know that you too will be, you will rise with him. We are tied to him by true faith. And if you look at Romans 4, verse 25, that's the, the triumphant declaration. I'll read it to you. Romans 4, verse 25 says, Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up for our transgressions, and he was raised for our justification. Christ Jesus was raised for our justification. That means since Christ is righteous, we also who believe in him are declared righteous. Our faith is grounded in the reality of Christ's resurrection. And our peace is guaranteed in him. And so the first words that our Lord Jesus spoke to his disciples after his resurrection, we read that in John 20. They show the consequence of his resurrection. After rising from the dead, he could come and he could talk to the disciples who believed in him, who shared in his benefits. He could come to them and he could say, peace be with you. The word peace has to do with our justification. It has to do with God treating us just as if we were perfectly innocent. Peace, that's the gospel in a nutshell. And when Christ Jesus said, peace be with you to his followers, he was saying, God is not angry with those who are united to Christ by true faith because Christ paid for their sins. Peace be with you. God is, God is, there's no longer any separation between God and his church. Christ has allowed all believers to share in his righteousness that he obtained by his death and his resurrection. And so brothers and sisters, when the pastor raises his hands and speaks the blessing and salutation of our risen Lord Jesus Christ every Sunday, understand that the peace that is a part of that blessing is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we might 
have new life. John 20, verses 21 to 22, Jesus says to them again, and here we pay attention to the connection, peace be with you. He says in John 20, verse 21 to 22, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. There's a connection between the peace that Christ obtained by his death and resurrection and this outpouring of the Holy Spirit who gives us new life. There's a connection between justification and sanctification. That means that Jesus, the light, who destroyed the darkness of death, also destroyed the dominion, the power of the devil. In our daily lives, we can see the victory of Jesus Christ. And so Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's what we confess. By Christ's power, we too are raised up to a new life. And that imagery of being raised up to a new life makes us think of someone being rescued from being in a, in a muddy swamp, stuck in the mud and unable to get out. The more you wriggle, the further you sink in. Fallen people were dying in the slimy muck of their sins and misery. And so our Lord Jesus entered into that fallen, rebellious world. He was God with us, Emmanuel. And he died to give his people a way out, as we saw on Good Friday. And when Jesus came out of the mire, and when he rose from the dead, he took with him all who believe in him. And that's where we are. We who believe in him are, have been lifted up with him to a new life. And we are treated by our Heavenly Father as, as innocent and clean, as if we'd never been in the mud. We are given new hearts so that we are led by the Holy Spirit. So we desire to praise God by our obedience being raised by the power of Christ to a new, a new life. It means that we have also left the old life, the slimy muck of the sinful nature behind so that it no longer hinders, impedes our service to God. Raised to a new life, we have left the realm of the dead. Just like Christ left the tomb. And we can't be dead and alive at the same time. The living, resurrected Christ overcame. He, he destroyed death. He didn't add death to his list of different ways to exist. Christianity is an all or nothing. An either 
or commitment. It isn't a a both and commitment. That means if someone came looking for Christians around them in the world, they will hear the same message that the women heard when they entered the tomb. They will hear they are not here in the greedy competition for having the nicest stuff. They are not here in this nightclub. They are not here among the drunken party goers. They are not here among those who are mocking and making fun of the Christian faith. They are not here among the gossips or the liars or the selfish and the greedy. They are not here among the cowards. They are not here among those who embrace sin without following the Spirit, without fighting against that sin, struggling against their sinful nature. They have been raised from the dead with their Savior, Jesus Christ. They are not here among the dead because they are the living. So we hear that message, they did not love their lives on earth more than their Savior, Jesus Christ. It's that gospel that we read in Romans 6, verses 8 to 14. I'll read verses 8 and 11 and 14. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, or in Christ Jesus. For sin will no longer have dominion over you. You see, brothers and sisters, those who share in Christ's resurrection, they rejoice to see that their new life is radical. It's all-encompassing. It has to do with the, the foundations of life. It's the difference, really, between death and life, between darkness and light. And there's no mixing the two. The Lord Jesus is risen from the dead. And by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. And so we can pursue our heart's desires because we have been given new hearts that desire what is glorifying to God, both now and forevermore. We confess that Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. We believe that whoever is hidden in Christ can be sure that one day they will rise from the dead just like Christ Jesus did. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 that Christ was raised from the dead and then it says he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We are united to him by true faith. What happens to Christ, the first fruits, will happen to all those who are a part of his harvest. What happens to the head of the church will happen to the body. And the Holy Spirit says that believers are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We read that in 1 Peter 1, verse 5. We do not need to doubt that we can look forward to 
eternal life. And what will this be like? Well, 1 Peter says in verses 3 to 5 that we have been born again to a living hope. And then he says to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that though our natural bodies are sown, buried in dishonor and weakness, they will be raised as glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies. Then we see how Christ's resurrection has ongoing consequences for members of Christ's church. We who believe in him can expect a glorious resurrection on the last day. At the same time, since the Lord has given us new life already, it appears from the scriptures that our relationship to Christ, to God, it will change very little because of our death. The living, we read, are with the Lord in body and soul. And then we read in another place, well, the dead are also with the Lord, just in soul, while they are waiting for their bodies again. And so Paul concludes marvelously in 1 Thessalonians, whether we are awake or asleep, we live with him. We are called to glorify him as the unique people we are today as much as we are called to glorify him after we die. We look forward to a glorious resurrection, but we see this eternal life in our lives right now. God knows and sees us today as much as he will after we die. We are with him now. We will be with him then. We are just as forgiven today as we will be after we die because it's forgiveness in Christ. He is with us today in this life in the body. He will be with us after we die. And only our souls are left as our bodies decay in the grave. Although there are sorrows and temptations in this life, God ordained this time on earth as a time to grow in our understanding of this world, to increase the number of those who will eternally praise our Father in heaven, whether it's through children or, or through mission, to begin our eternal praise right now in our own lives. We are experiencing the beginning of that glorious resurrection that we confess today already in Christ. You see, God's plan doesn't start after we die. But we are already valuable to the Lord, glorifying him today. God's plan also doesn't start, or doesn't end after we die. The souls in heaven are longing for the return of Christ with as much eagerness as, as we are. The living, the dead in Christ together are crying out, Come, Lord Jesus. 
And although Paul calls death gain, because it is better to be with Christ, life after death is an incomplete existence until Christ returns. And so the prayer of the church is not that we might die soon, but the prayer is that Christ will come quickly. In Philippians 3, the Holy Spirit says that when Christ returns, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject, uh, to even to subject all things to himself. When Christ returns, we are overjoyed to see that it is possible for God's creatures to have a perfect body and a perfect soul. And we wait eagerly for this day. Not because we can't glorify God with our body and a soul that is not hindered by sin, but because we want to glorify him fully with every part of our being. And every Sunday in this beginning of eternal life, we celebrate Christ's resurrection in our worship because it keeps us focused on the victory. He has overcome death. He has already given us peace with the Father in heaven. He has already set us free from the dominion of the evil one. He has already forgiven all our sins. He has already filled us with the Holy Spirit who leads us in our new life. We are already leaving that death behind even as we live here on the earth. And he promised us that when he returns, there will be a glorious resurrection and we will continue to worship God without any single thing hindering our bodies, our minds, or our hearts. Jesus Christ has really and truly risen from the dead. And as we look at our risen Lord, we see how that changes our very existence, our very way of seeing our task, our very way of seeing our neighbor. And he allows us to share in the grace of all these benefits. May this living hope in a living Lord be central in every part of your life. May it console your heart, encourage you in your fight against sin, make you eager to share the hope of the gospel with those around us. And we can return to our homes with the encouraging words of 1 John 3, verses 2 to 3. In our hearts and minds, and this passage says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Amen.